0: We're going to be talking a little bit about the Lord as our shepherd. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Psalm, chapter 78. Uh, A very important topic uh, that actually we feed off from last week. Last week, we talked about remembering the works of God, remembering the works of God. And today, we're going to be looking at how we remember God's works is by being invited to a table in the wilderness. Psalm, chapter 78, beginning in verse 12. Marvelous things did he in the sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt in the field of Zoan. He divided the seeing and caused them to pass through. He made the waters to stand as a heap. In the daytime also he led them with a cloud and all the night with a light of fire. He clave the rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink out of the great depths. He brought streams also out of the rock and caused waters to run down like rivers. And they sinned yet more against him by provoking the Most High in the wilderness. And they tempted God their lusts by asking meat for their lust. Yea, they spake against God and and they said, Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Will he provide our needs? That's a question that we're going to discuss today. Can God really meet our needs? So verse 19 is kind of where we're going to be focusing today, and we'll be looking at verses before and after it. And again, it says, Yea, they spake against God. This is talking about the children of Israel in the wilderness. And they said, Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Can God really meet our needs? That was the accusation that they gave against God. And we're going to look at that today. So with this in mind, Thanksgiving will be this Thursday. Thanksgiving dinner is soon to be served. So I got to ask you a question. What is your favorite food For Thanksgiving. I know that's dangerous to talk about. We haven't had lunch yet, but anyways. Anyways, it's common. I think most homes, uh, how many are going to serve turkey? You're going to have turkey for Thanksgiving. Not every How many have something else? Like ham? How many? Okay, got something else. Surprise me. What? Sloppy Joe's. Yeah, on Wednesday night, we had sloppy Joe's with green beans. There's a big story behind all that. Okay, brisket. Anyone else have something different than ham or turkey? We're good. Okay. All right. So, but I think in most traditionally, you find a turkey on the table. That's traditionally what you would find. Now, here's interesting. Think about a side dish. Okay. What is your favorite side dish to go with that turkey? According to a recent Google trending poll that happened back uh, just a few weeks ago, what do you think is Minnesota's favorite side dish for Thanksgiving? not even close you got it woody got it yes by and large yes the green bean casserole and not just minnesota but for most of the five state area as well okay so but anyways i'm sure there's probably some side dishes you probably don't care for as much either though okay so there was another poll this is more nationwide but another poll i think this is of better homes and gardens they said that this that uh, what do you think was the least favorite side dish nationwide for Thanksgiving? Least favorite, <laughs> lutefisk. I don't think whatever day it is is always going to be the worst side dish. Anyway, uh, we'll speak. We'll preach on lutefisk. I'm sure there's something in the Bible about Ludafus, but we'll get there another time. It's, it's in the Norwegian Bible, I think. Anyway. With that in mind, what is the most uh, kind of unliked side dish, and it happens to be candied yams or sweet potatoes? That's nationwide, okay? My wife loves it. For me, uh, I'll have maybe a bite. That's about it, okay? So, but anyways, no no matter what you're like or dislike of food, I pray that this Thursday we would have a hearty appetite that reflects a heart of gratitude, Okay. But I fear this, and this is kind of what I'm bringing this information up, is that I fear that too many people are, have you ever been around a picky eater? Do you know someone who's a picky eater? Now, if that's yourself, then you know, you can confess that later, okay? But nonetheless, I think we all know someone who's picky eaters, and whether it be our kids growing up or maybe even our adult life, there's things that we like and don't like. And um, so what, what makes someone a, a picky eater? I was actually asking my kids this last night, what makes someone a picky eater? And basically, it's the impression that whatever food is in front of them, the thinking is it's not good. It's not good to look at. It's not good to taste. It's not. It's just generally it's, it's not good or it's not the best. And that's where we have the idea of a picky eater. I think to some degree, there's foods that we like and don't like, things like that. But nonetheless, I think that this, we've got to be careful that I fear that too many Christians, too many people are picky eaters, spiritually speaking. Think about that. Are we a picky eater spiritually? That's what we're talking about today in, in Psalm 78. And what happens is this, as we're a picky eater spiritually, we end up turning away God's good blessings that he has provided for us by his grace. This life in some aspects is a wilderness. God has provided though a table for us that will truly satisfy our needs and fills us with joy and peace. So my challenge for us today is that we would not be picky eaters, that we would come and dine at God's table in the wilderness. I want us to kind of go back just in, in back in our Jewish mind, if you will, back to just a few, actually during the time of the attack that happened on, on uh, October 7th in Israel, that was actually the last day was the ending of the holiday of Sukkot, the holiday of the, the feast of tabernacles. It was actually a celebration called Simchat Torah, the rejoicing of the law. Um, but anyways, it was the end of that holy season. But the this feast is actually a, a feast, a festival, that what God gave to the children of Israel back, even back uh, in the time of the Sinai, during the time of the wilderness wanderings, Leviticus 23 has the layout of all the seven feasts that God had appointed, or appointed times, uh, Moedim as they're called, uh, appointed times that God gave to Israel to remember his plan. Every year they were going to do this a cycle, such as uh, Passover, Passover, Pentecost, and then Sukkot, the Feast of, of Tabernacles that would occur in the fall. And so it's a Jewish tradition today, even from the time of Moses, even today, if you go to Jewish neighbors today, you'll find a sukkah, a temporary hut, dwelling place, that is put on the backyard, uh, and it's, it's meant uh, to remember the wilderness wanderings in Egypt and how God provided for them. Sukkot begins on the 15th of the month. It's interesting that the Hebrew calendar is a, is a lunar calendar, Okay, so follow the faces of the moon. Uh, a Jewish day begins at, at sundown, for example. Uh, for example, uh, do you remember how God created the world? What do you say? The first day in the evening and the morning were the first day. So the day on the Jewish calendar starts at sundown. So on Sabbath, for example, uh, the, the Sabbath begins on Friday night at sundown. Okay, so anyways, the Jewish people, as they celebrate Sukkot, Sukkot or the Feast of Tabernacles, it begins on the 15th day of that month, Tishrei. So that's our September, October in that time period. And so I bring that up for a reason because the 15th day, remember if it follows a cycle, so the first day of the month is a new moon, okay? This is kind of going like, you know, junior high science right now, okay? But do you remember what happens on a, on a new moon? If you look out in the sky, can you see a moon? No, that doesn't mean it's not there. It's just, it's hidden, okay? But anyways, but what happens on the 15th day? of that lunar month it's a full moon okay it's a full moon now if we talk about september october what do you think we're talking about when we talk a full moon i'm talking to the farmers that are here or those that grew up in the farming industry what do you really appreciate at the full moon in the fall what is it called the special moon that comes out it's the harvest moon now we're now we're speaking the language we know okay the harvest moon that comes out. What is special about the harvest moon? It really provides extra time for the farmers as they bring in their crops, okay? Uh, I think is up to, depending where you are, and maybe an extra 50 minutes of decent light that you can work by. Uh, in uh, that That time is vital for the farmers as they bring in the harvest. So what I'm trying to get is this, that the Feast of Tabernacles in the fall for the Jewish people is really the Jewish thanksgiving. It's the Jewish Thanksgiving. It's the feast. It's also known as the Feast of the In Gathering, as you bring in your crops and give thanks to the Lord for His abundant supply for your needs. And so, what happens this is this: Jewish families they build this the sukkah, this this hut, if you will, and they go in and they spend seven days eating in there. Maybe even staying at, by the rabbinic law, you have to stay at least one night in it. But nonetheless, uh, to go in there and you eat and you fellowship, you have friends and family over. It's a time of Thanksgiving. We do it for one day. They do it for a whole week. Okay, pretty amazing. Talk about leftovers. All right. Okay, maybe that's why we have leftovers. We just extend it, okay? But nonetheless, what is this about? Again, let me remind us that the Feast of Tabernacles is the Jewish Thanksgiving. And it's a reminder of God's provision for Israel during the wilderness wanderings. So again, the children of Israel are not wandering in the wilderness anymore, okay? But nonetheless, they... they Every year they remember this by. The Bible actually says in the book of Zechariah that we will go up year to year to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem. So I would encourage you to get to know the Feast of Tabernacles because you'll be celebrating it one day, okay? All right? So with that in mind, as wondrous as God's action was by providing them in the wilderness, we find though, if you know Israel's history, we find their reactions were very ungrateful. You could say that the Jewish people were picky eaters of God's blessings. Are we picky eaters of God's blessings? Good, good thought. Last week, we talked about remembering the works of God. Uh, and so while we talk about the table and in verse 19, let's remind ourselves this, that a table in wilderness is really an invitation to remember the works of God. It's an invitation to remember the works of God. Look with me back in verse 7. It talks about the generation to come that we should tell our children, our children's children, tell the next generation what God has done in our life. In verse 7, it says that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Oh, again, we need to reemphasize this over and over. Do not forget the works of God. Okay, one thing we do on especially on uh, Sunday nights and Wednesdays as well, we take time to remember the works of God. We give opportunities to share thanks. I want to say one thing before I forget that next Sunday, as we gather, we will be having a Thanksgiving service. We're going to sing praises to the Lord. We're going to read portions of Scripture together. But like we've done the past couple of years, uh, when you come in at the Welcome Center, we're going to have little kind of like three by five cards that you can write "God, I am thankful for," and you can write whatever you will want. So you can use both sides if you want. And then during the time of the service, we invite the church family to come and to basically lay that thanks upon the altar really as a thanksgiving offering. We're going to be doing that next week. We've done the past couple of years. So in case you remembered, you can go back on our YouTube channel. You can watch last last year's service if you want to remember. I probably will too, because I can't remember what we did from one year to the next. That's me. Okay, so with that in mind, give thanks to the Lord. Remember his works. And what were they supposed to remember? The children of Israel were supposed to remember the miracles that took place at the Exodus. Look with me in verse 12. Okay. By the way, it's, it says here that they, the children of Ephraim, carry bows, they uh, turned back in the day of battle. They kind of gave up. It says in verse 11 that they forgot his works and his wonders that he had showed them. So, what works are we supposed to remember? Verse 12: Israel is supposed to remember this marvelous things did he in the sight of their fathers in the land of Egypt and the field of Zoan. He divided the sea and caused them to pass through, and uh, he made the waters to stand up as a heap in the daytime. He also led them with a cloud and with a night a light of fire. He cleaved the rocks of the wilderness and gave them to drink, and out of the great depths, he brought streams also out of the rock and caused waters to run down like rivers. In these verses here, I think you if you know anything about the, the story of Exodus and the wilderness waters, you can identify what God was doing here. In verse 13, God parted the waters of the Red Sea for them to cross on dry land. And then on top of that, what happened to Pharaoh's army? It was destroyed. That was God's provision. I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously the horse and the rider. He hath thrown into the sea. The song of Miriam. God did an amazing work there. But it doesn't end there. As he guided them through the wilderness. How did he do it? In verse 14. God gave them a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. His presence was there in leading them. What an amazing gift and blessing that was given to the children of Israel well the children of israel they're also a little thirsty you can imagine going through the desert okay and they were thirsty at times and they complained about that and god in his grace what is what happens moses strikes the rock that happened on two different occasions we'll get into the details of that but god provided water out of the rock that it gushed forth and the children of israel were able to drink it and be sustained what an amazing god This is the miracles that God did. This is the works of God that the children of Israel should remember over and over. Keep telling those stories to your children. Keep telling this is how God provided. Tell stories in your own life how God has provided. And tell them to your children and your children's children. Tell them to all generations. This is what God did in our lives. Give him thanks for that. But what was the people's reaction? How do the people respond to the work that God did for them in the wilderness? Well, basically, the people were not grateful. They complained. This is complaint number one. Well, let me before I read this, I gotta say this that we say, well, the children of Israel complain. We all complain. Well, the Israelis, they bring it to an art form. When I was in Hebrew school, uh, my wife and I, we spent one whole day in our class learning how to complain in Hebrew. Okay? lonen is the infinitive. lonen. Almashu, you know, and whatever, you know, you want to complain about. There's always something to complain about. So it becomes an art form. Now look at me in uh, verse 19. There's three complaints that the people gave. Number one, they said this. They spake against God. They said, can God furnish or prepare a table for us in the wilderness? Could God meet our needs? Complaint number two is in verse 20. Behold, they smote the rock and the waters gushed out. The streams overflowed. And here's the complaint. Can he give bread also? The third is in the same verse. Can he provide flesh for his people? Three complaints. Can he furnish a table? Can he give us bread? Can he give us flesh? Come on, God. You're going to meet our needs, aren't you? That was the complaint that they had. What was God's response to that? Well, how would you have responded? Well, we know in our flesh, we probably say different things, but God responded in a very righteous way. This is in verse 21. Therefore, the Lord heard this and was wroth. He was angry. And so a fire was kindled against Jacob, and anger also came up against Israel. He was angry with his people. So what was the problem? What was Israel's problem? Why couldn't they simply uh, just not complain about it? Well, here's the thing, and it reflects their hearts. We find here that Israel, they were picky eaters. Verse 22 says this. This is the reason. Why? Because... They believed not in God and trusted not in his salvation. Why don't we, why do we complain so often? I think it's ultimately because we don't trust God. Think about that. A person who is living and trusting God daily and is content with what God has given them, you find them rarely ever complaining. Isn't that true? Like I said, so so many times I think we're guilty of being picky eaters spiritually. You know, we can blame the children of Israel. Yeah, that was them. Well, we're good. God has provided for us. Yeah, and then we complain about it the next day. God has provided in so many ways. He is good. He is always and only good. We praise him for that. So let's talk a little bit. These are some thoughts that Charles Spurgeon wrote about this. Uh, I kind of paraphrased it briefly on this, but he basically says this, that unbelief of God, to not believe in God is slander against him. God, can you provide for us? Can you really feed us with bread? Can you really give us food? Well, they to um, unbelief is a slander against God. They spake against God, saying, "Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? You see, to question the ability of the Almighty is to speak against Him. You're saying that God is not who He says He is. Is God all powerful? Nod your head yes, or say an amen. Is God omniscient? He knows everything. He knows your need absolutely is god omnipresent it's god everywhere so why he can't he provide for you isn't jesus in the sermon of the mount he says if god cares for the the sparrows that fly in the grass the fear so much will he not care for you god cares for you he does to say he can't is to accuse him to speak falsely that's slander the the people said that although god had given them bread and water yet he could not provide properly furnish a table remember they were given manna they were given quail. They were given other things, but they were saying, "That's not good enough, God. Come on, give us give us the great, give us the five star meal, five course meal. I mean, give us a table that was furnish us, God. You know." But they tempted him. They tested him in the wilderness. They ex- here's the thing: what did, were they expecting? You got to ask this question. Someone's complaining about something. What are you expecting? What are you really wanting? The children of Israel, I believe this, and kind of my thoughts on this is that they expected table. Like they had in Egypt, they expected the tables like they had in Egypt. What did they were they given there? Remember, they were in slavery. But remember, they were say, God, don't you remember the the leeks and the garlics and everything we had? We had everything met. Yeah, we were in slavery, but hey, we had better food at least. You know, they were they were comparing what God was giving the wilderness versus what they had in their past life. And I think this in our past life in our sinful condition before we were saved, we thought we had all of our needs met. We were, we were self-sustained. But we didn't realize we needed God more than anything. That's, that's the bottom line. When God gives us salvation, he gives us the riches of heaven. God says, I will supply your needs based on your riches in Christ Jesus. So with that, they expected a table like they had in Egypt. Those who will not be content will speak against God's provision, even they, though they may receive his daily bread. I think God gives us his daily bread, doesn't he? He really does. And yet we are not content. We speak against God's provision. God is not good enough. Well, we talk about that the table in the wilderness is a time to remember the works of God, but it's also, number two, the table in the wilderness is an invitation to see the works of God. So how did God work in furnishing a table for them in the wilderness? Did God set a table for them? Absolutely. It says in verse 23, Though he had commanded the clouds from above and opened the doors of heaven, it had rained down manna upon them to eat and had given them the corn of heaven. Man did eat angels' food, and he set them meat to the full. So God did provide. How did he do that? He opened the doors of heaven, gave them angels' food to eat. So they had angel food cake. There you go. There's the dessert. Nonetheless, he opened the doors of heaven. How do you do that? He rained flesh. It says in verse 26, it says here, he caused an east wind to blow into heaven and by his power he brought uh, in the south wind. He rained flesh also upon them as dust and feathered fowls like as the sand of the sea and he let it fall into the midst of their camp round their habitations. So he opened the doors of heaven, gave an the angel food. By the way, that's the manna. That's the manna that he gave. By the way, do you know what manna is? Manna means literally in Hebrew. What is it? Have you ever got something in packages or some food? And you look at it, it's like, what is it? Well, that's, that's, that name caught on, okay? And so that's what mina means. What is it? Okay, we still don't know. We have a hint of what it could be, coriander with a little bit of honey taste. We don't know exactly, but it sustained them. It sustained Israel for 40 years in the wilderness. Amazing. Uh, so much that it was a testimony that it was put in, a, in the Ark of the Covenant. Remember that? That is a testimony of God's provision in the wilderness. But also, like I said, it not only gave him manna, but he also rained flesh. The quails, remember the quails that came in. And uh, God sustained them by giving them them quails. Just think, guys, you didn't have to go hunting for it. God brought it right to you. talking to John. He was waiting for that deer to pass by all day yesterday and not a sight. Okay? I think that was your story, Harvey, too. Did you see any deer at all, Harvey? Not a one. Man, couldn't you be like the children of Israel? God just brings that quail all to you. All right? Praise God when that happens. And God did that consistently in the wilderness for those 40 years. Can you believe that? That's amazing. Yet, how did the people respond to that? Of God's provision in the wilderness at the table that he set before them. The people's response is found in verse 31. That the wrath of God came upon them, and they slew the fattest of them, and smote down the chosen men of Israel. For all this they sinned still and believed not for his wondrous works. Therefore, their days did he consume and vanity; their years in trouble. The children of Israel still were ungrateful. Israel doubted God's ability to provide for their needs. And this unbelief simply made God angry with them. You know, I think this, what happened was this. Remember that God gave the manna, God gave the quail. If you remember right, they literally were eating it. The flesh was in their teeth and God consumed them. During that time, he passed judgment because they were eating out of their own lust and own desires. They were giving things to God. They are just like, man, I just want to feed my belly. That's all they thought about. But here's the thing. Sometimes God allows us to have what we want to really reveal to us what we need. Sometimes God allows us to have what we want, but is it really what we need? God often shows that. And I think that's what was happening here, even in this case. So the table of wilderness is an invitation to see the works of God, but it's also an invitation to see the faithfulness of God. God judged that he, he chastises people in the wilderness. Remember that uh, all the generation 20 years and older were not allowed to see the land of promise because of their sin and rebellion against God. God even said, hey, I'll wipe everyone out, Moses, and I'll start with you, a brand new nation. And remember, Moses interceded for them. Find that back in the book of Exodus. God really, uh, he was just with them but he was also faithful to his promise and this is interesting this psalm here really continues to detail israel's unbelief and god's faithfulness interesting although he did chase them he god never cast away his people and this shows his mercy look with me down now in verse 38 it says but he being full of compassion forgave their iniquity and destroyed them not yea many a time turned he his anger away it did not stir up all his wrath for he remembered that they were but flesh a wind that passeth away and cometh not again god knows our frame we are frail we are finite we are fallen creatures and god in his mercy has extended his care and faithfulness to us and even in israel's disobedience he still provided the manna He still provided the quail. He still provided the water. The Bible says even at the end of the journeys of Israel that their shoes did not wear out, their clothes did not wear thin. God sustained them all the way till they entered the land of Canaan, the land of promise. Isn't God a good and faithful God? Absolutely, he is. So God then, he guided Israel in the wilderness as a shepherd. We heard that song earlier by Marty, a shepherd of love. God is exactly that. God guided Israel in the wilderness as a shepherd. God did not simply abandon. And the thing is this, imagine the children of Israel as they're in the wilderness for all these years. Probably they're thinking, God, are we ever going to get out of this place? Well, they had to wait off till those generations died. We know that. But God did not forget his promise and he led his people in a very specific way. You see this, that God guided Israel as a in the wilderness as a shepherd. Look with me in verse 52. Psalm 78, verse 52 He says, he but made his own people to go forth like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. And he led them on safely so that they feared not, but the sea overwhelmed their enemies. God led them again as a shepherd. The Bible talks a lot about God being a shepherd. In Psalm 23, verse five, God as the good shepherd, what does he do? As the good shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Verse five says, thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. God prepared a table in the wilderness for his people, for his sheep. God is good. Also, we know that this, that the children of God instructed the children of Israel to have something in the tabernacle. Remember the tabernacle that was the Mishkan, the the uh, the dwelling place of God that was in the middle of the camp. And God says this, that they would have the, the outer court, where he'd have the brazen altar, the laver. And then you'd have in the Mishkan, the, the central part here, there was two rooms. One was the holy place and the other was the holy of holies. And the holy of holies was the Ark of the Covenant. And there was a veil that was in front of that. And in the holy place, there was three pieces of furniture. What were they? It was the menorah, the candlestick. There was the altar of incense that stood before the veil. And then one other, that was the table of showbread. It was a table of bread in the wilderness that was changed on a daily basis by the priest. As evidence of God sustaining his people. And this is a reminder of his provision for them in the wilderness. And that continued on actually during Solomon's temple. And then later on even in Herod's temple as well. As you think about this. This is an amazing picture of this. The big idea that we have of this passage. Can God provide a table of the wilderness? Yes he can. And yes he does. Here's the big idea we have of Psalm 78. That God serves and satisfies us. God serves us and He satisfies us. He is the great God. He is our shepherd. I believe that this foreshadows even a greater feeding of bread that would come later. This foreshadowed the coming of Jesus, who not only gave bread, remember the feeding of 5000 five loaves of bread in, and the two fish, but he also He presented himself as the bread of life. Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. Folks, in this world and world systems, people are hungry for truth and they don't know where to get it. The thing is this, we have truth. We have the bread of life that satisfies our deepest longings of our soul. The water of life that will sustain us for free, that everlasting life. Jesus said to that woman, The well, if you drink of this water, the well of Jacob, you're going to thirst again. But the water I give you, you shall never thirst. He gives us that, that we never thirst. Folks, if you're here today and you're searching a longing for that peace and that hope and you can't quite figure it out, you're drinking from the wrong well. You're eating from the wrong bakery, so to speak. Okay? Come to Jesus and be fulfilled. That he will satisfy your needs he serves us and he satisfies us you see god's faithfulness then the greatest thing about god's faithfulness is that he brings his people to the great shepherd looking with me and now in verse uh towards the end of it here let's see verse 72 it says here actually let me back up a little bit uh verse go to verse 67 this is kind of interesting it says here, moreover, he refused the tabernacle of Joseph and not the tribe of Ephraim, but chose the tribe of Judah, the Mount Zion, which he loved. And he built his sanctuary in the high palaces, like the earth, which he established forever. He took David also his servant from the sheep, from the sheepfolds from following the ewes, great with young. He brought them brought him to feed Jacob, his people and Israel, his inheritance. So he fed them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them with the skillfulness of his hands interesting this that throughout Israel, i wish we had time just to park on this for a second it's a really interesting thought remember back in the book of uh, genesis chapter 49 that god says that the scepter shall not depart from judah until law lawgiver come till shiloh come okay talks about that god would send a redeemer a king over israel basically through the tribe of judah but look at it, all of israel's history uh before david who did god use he didn't use judah at all he used Interesting, Moses, who was from the tribe of Levi. And then his successor was Joshua, who was from the tribe of Ephraim. And then later on, even Israel's first king was King Saul from the tribe of Benjamin. Interesting. So nearly uh, hundreds of years had passed by this time. And where is Judah? All of a sudden, God selects a man after his own heart, David, who was a shepherd of his sheep for his father's flock. And then now has become the shepherd of his people, Israel. And then who is David? What ancestry is from? From the line of Judah. God does this for a reason on purpose in his own timing. You see, here's the point. God raised up David to be the king of Israel and to lead them. Indirectly, this refers to God himself and his great care for the people of Israel. And here's the point. From the tribe of Judah, from the line of David, David was a great king, but he was not the greatest king. The greatest king, though, would come from that family line and that's found in jesus the messiah the son of david the son of abraham that's matthew chapter one amazing here's the thing when we think about this it says it's interesting here's from charles spurgeon when we end these desert roamings as the jonah israel are in the wilderness thinking about these things every soup every uh sukkot every Feast of Tabernacle that come in the fall. The the children of Israel, even today, Jewish people gather in the sukkah, and they should remember how God directed them and guided them and provided for them in the wilderness. God still provides for us today. He provides for you today. Never forget that. But here's the thing. In this wilderness, when we will end these desert roamings, these rebellions, the chastising, and entered into the rest of a settled kingdom with the Lord Jesus reigning as the Prince of Peace, the House of David, when is this going to end? when is this wilderness going to end here's the point and this gives us hope at the very end of the psalm that israel be wandering as the wilderness and god would establish his throne and His people would be established here's the point for us today what can we glean that the wilderness will not last forever the wilderness of this life will not last forever for those who are in christ jesus you might feel like that sometimes but if you're a child of god today this is not the end of the story We have an amazing hope, an amazing future, and that's found through the great shepherd of our souls, Jesus Christ. So, as we think about this passage today, this gives us hope in pointing us to someone even greater than David, who will guide us and who will provide for us. All the the blessings that we have. Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacle, reminds us of God's providential care for them during those 40 years. Their unbelief was evident as they were picky eaters at God's table in the wilderness. Even so, God remained faithful to them. He provided them with everything they needed, and all that he required of them was simply to trust him. God's anger came because they believed not in God and trusted not in his salvation. You know, we could reverse the logic of this verse and say that when we believe God and trusted his salvation, he is pleased with us. The Bible says in Hebrews eleven six, 6, But without faith... It is impossible to please God. For those who dine at God's table in the wilderness, they will no longer be picky eaters, but will be truly content. They will feast on the best of God's daily provisions and be satisfied. I invite you today to come to the table by simply trusting the Lord and taste and see that the Lord is good. So folks, today, God has provided a table in the wilderness How do you enjoy that meal by simply trusting him, believing him for salvation. That's how we can enjoy that. By the way, what does God promise for us in the future? It'll be the marriage sovereign land where he's provided a feast for us. No longer in the wilderness, but in the gates of heaven. Amazing to think about that. So folks, if you're here today or those who are watching online and you're not sure of your own salvation, of your trust of God know that God is there for you he has sent Jesus Christ the son of David sent Jesus Christ to die in your place on the cross and through him we have blessings abundant folks for us today who are Christians don't be a picky eater at God's table enjoy his blessings and be satisfied taste and see that the Lord is good